You're listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, The Running Public. Which one of us looks like we're more in a cabin? I feel like you're upstairs in his cabin. Hey, there we go. That's a good answer. I don't have. I don't have an. I like it though. No, you don't. That's what I was, If you did, it'd look like this. I would. Yeah. No, I was telling him. I thought he was at the cabin. He's in downtown Minneapolis. Really? Yeah. Just stealing company I mean, time right now. Downtown. I assume. Yeah. Well, don't don't snitch. I got I got the screens. I got the screens going. So like I'm like technically working right. Mm-hmm. What do you do? Uh, data science stuff. So uh, nice. it's like sports analytics modeling, basically. For what? Uh, so it's a startup, and it's basically for sports betting applications. So okay. essentially modeling, finding opportunities in games and whatever. I mean, I can get into more if you guys are interested, but I figure. I suppose advanced metrics and <laughs> analytics have absolutely changed the gambling game. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. I mean, it's it's like, essentially the way I like to describe it to people, so they don't think I'm just a degenerate, it's like, it's like algorithmic trading, like stock market stuff. It's where they built algorithms and they got sharper and sharper to the point where now there's like no opportunity left because there's so many people putting so much money into it. So it's like a new market space to take those techniques, but it's way less efficient. So like there is opportunity to take machine learning and artificial intelligence and find some opportunity. So that's kind of what we're trying to do. It's a pretty solid elevator pitch. Yeah, I'm buying. You interested? You want to invest? <laughs> How did you get into that? Out of curiosity. Uh, so I kind of that route. I mean, so I majored in fi- math and finance with the idea of like getting into algorithmic trading. And kind of my last couple of years of college, me and my brother like worked on a side project, and um, we started with like daily fantasy stuff. But then that kind of morphed into traditional sports betting as that became legal. legal. So is this your startup, or are you part of? No, uh, started w- out of college. I was with a daily fantasy sports startup for four years, and then I got the job with my current company about four years ago. Wow, yeah. you four years has surpassed the startup stage. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're it's been so much just development. Like started with me and two other guys yeah. just developing for three years and trying stuff out, and we finally have a product that we're ready to sell. So. November 1st is kind of our launch. So we're kind of right there. We're kind of finally at the end of the development stage. Sounds stressful. Yeah, Sounds stressful. I mean, it is when we got picks and games that I got to sweat out every night. I bet. And it's like, I have, I mean, I just got to trust the machine. I don't know. Bracken, you got to gotta keep Tyler. Teams. You got to keep Tyler in your back pocket for this uh, OCR um you know draft situation you got going on maybe you'd be helpful there we started a fantasy ocr league with some of their commentators in the sport and it's okay very very bush league obstacle (laughs) course racing that's an acronym for obstacle course racing in case you were wondering okay i was i was gonna ask i didn't want to sound stupid but it's all right there's a national series for it and so we draft we actually it's not typical we redraft before every competition since oh, okay. so many different people will show up to different competitions. We get a list of who's attending, like you'd find on Athlinks or Ultra yeah. Sign Up or anything like that. And then we, we draft out and score a cross-country style. Oh, that makes sense because it's not like 
you know, having the same everyone there for mm. every race. Yeah, so yeah, like, it can't be a keeper league or anything like yeah. that. So, Tyler, gotcha. how do you pronounce your last yeah. name? German. German. Okay. I was going to say Germ- German. So, German sounds better. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, our podcast, I know you haven't listened, but I would say, what do you think, Bracken? We have half obstacle course racing listeners and now half traditional, uh, I would say, like endurance athletes. We go anywhere from like running fast on the track for the mile to running ultra marathons in the mountains. I'd say we cover the gamut. But the foundation of mm-hmm. what we do is all running, right? And so <clears throat> we tend to, I think Bracken, you'll agree with me, we tend to veer in the like obstacle course racing, mountain trail running side of things. And every once in a while, I'm like, we got to talk to like, we got to talk to somebody who's out there like trying to rip it up and cut seconds off of what they're doing instead of, you know, a three hour race in the mountains, which in itself is obviously a, a a tall order, but you're still out there kind of giving it like you're, you're hustling, looking to run fast, running fast. We haven't talked to somebody like Tyler in a while. Have we, have we Bracken I'm trying to think? No, no. And people right now that we typically deal with are having 10 to 20 minutes swings in their races by the nature of technicality of course, or extreme vert or whatever. But it's been a while since we've talked on the, side of the coin where it's like tenths seconds seconds matter minutes would be fantastic but we're shaving seconds yeah which as i'm sure you've talked to kirk a little bit we both were middle distance runners in college yeah so we lived in the world of hundredths and tenths and that's still kind of what revs us up is hearing about this stuff i mean both are fun like i was hoping we'd talk a little more about the trail stuff just because like that's something that intrigues me so much and i know like i've almost no experience on the in the trails and ultras but i mean i'm so intrigued by it and to see like i don't know where the seconds don't matter but it's just like keeping going and getting to the finish line and like i mean you look at some of these ultra races and it's like maintaining 10 minute pace is the leader Mm -hmm. and no one's catching you you know and it's like (laughs) it's hard to fathom that that's both the fastest you can go but also like what that feels like when you're, I don't know, eight hours into a race. It's, uh, it's something that fascinates me and I'd like to explore it someday, but I'm not there yet. That's rare, I think. We have a couple of shared friends who are uh, a couple of guys who have run at, at trials for the marathon or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And we always, we don't, we don't want to corrupt what they're doing, but put that bug <laughs> in the ear. Like, you know, yeah. you could make more on the trails. If if financial mattered mattered to you at all, like you can come, like win a fifty k trail championship, like the U S fifty mile champs, like it's it's ripe. If a two teen guy comes over, if they if they have any trail acumen, like I've got a buddy who was a an uh, all state wrestler and he's run I think uh, two seventeen thirty, and mm-hmm. I was like, you know what you could do with your strength and your grittiness on the you if if you get tired of your knees aching on the pavement, come on over and run some vert. You're gonna demolish some people, but most people don't have that desire to get out yeah. of the, the vacuum of smooth, you know, metronome running and try the other things. So it's rare to hear that mindset of I'm, I'm intrigued by it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's fun. I, was, I don't know. I mean, I'm not, I don't consider myself like a track speedy guy. Like the guys I race, like the guys I can compete with in a marathon, they beat me by two minutes in a 10 mile, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's like, I've always been that higher end of the scale. So mm-hmm. it feels like, the natural progression would be keep going longer and 
keep getting better comparatively. But I mean, you never know until you try it, right? And there's so many road guys who've tried trails and utterly failed, right? Well, so for I looked, there's no guarantee. I looked at your Instagram just before this, just to do a little creeping. And anybody who's followed yeah. by Tommy Ribs and Jim Wamsley is clearly in pre-contemplation of the of the trail ultra scene. And uh, those guys are buddies. If you ask me, I'm just saying. They're buddies. We'll have to dive into that, too. Um, okay, so yeah. I want to bring how this conversation came to be. And I actually have a bone to pick with you, um, Tyler. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You're oh, a real no. ass. Because. What did I do? <laughs> well, you beat me down, man. And so so do you know what an ultra sign-up like, score is? Like your ultra sign-up? percentage does that mean anything no. to you so no so ultra sign up is this trail so your one your only ultra sign up result is from the race in which we raced against each other in afton and so i've raced uh-huh. five races anything on trail any big trail race and then anything longer will go into ultra sign up and they keep track over your history of how good you are based on your percent behind the winner well i won my first three trail races so i had a hundred percent ultra sign up score so you sign up people go look and go oh god there's a guy with a hundred percent score in here he's never lost or his score is 99 or 98 why had a 99 percent ultra sign up score because i had lost one race previously (laughs) and then you beat me by 10 fucking minutes and my ultra sign up score went down to 96 percent i'm so sorry you have no idea what you've done to me So, anyways, you owe me an apology. Yeah, I, apologize. I, did. I had no idea that was, that was a factor now, here. Kirk and I don't care about our I don't care. ranking. Clearly, he doesn't care. <laughs> but it's like the international ranking system, where when you sign up for a race or you're perusing a race and you can see who signed up, their percentage is always shown. It's like your, your power index rating. Mm-hmm. So, Jim okay. is probably... Like ninety nine high, and I think I'm a. 90- Would he be though? Because like, if it's is it is it competition graded or is it percent just like behind the winner? You are? Always. So like Jim would be a percent behind the winner quite a bit on some races, right? He would be, but his wins, I think, balance it out. And he, maybe he's okay. 97 high. It's true. If you yeah. race against only studs, I don't mm-hmm. think they grade. They don't like grade on a scale on a sliding scale. Anyways, yeah. but so when, when people sign up, they're like, well, there's just a bunch of 70s and low 80s in this race. It's kind of ripe. But if an 88 or a 90 or 93 pops in, I, it is a very much coveted status. So you yeah. now have in, perfect in theory, a perfect ultra rating. There we go. <laughs> so you kind of have to retire. <laughs> Ooh. Undefeated to, and untied. I have to think about my next races if I'm doing any. <laughs> it's a good problem to have. But, uh, Anyway, so this came to be, so I picked my bone with you. Thanks for tolerating that. Um, and yeah. so we raced the Afton Trail race, which I it was time trial format the previous year, which I had won. It was a watered-down field, um, which I had won. And I've been running these rock-steady running races, and I have either finished first or second in most of them. And um, you showed up to, was a 4th of July weekend, to a trail race. Uh, were you wearing Vaporflies? Yes, yes, I was. I just got a glimpse of it. She was like, what are you wearing? I've never had a guy in a trail race for vapor flies before. And I was like, I don't own trail shoes. <laughs> I was like, this guy I one of the fastest shoes for this is race. either a moron or he's fast as shit and I'm in trouble. Well, moron was not the answer. Fast as shit was. And uh, you were gone. Three miles into the race, I was already a minute behind you. And then it just bled out from there. So we talked afterwards. I was like, we should probably chat with you because uh, local ro- road guy, marathon guy. 
playing around with trails maybe. So that's how this conversation came to be. So thank you for joining us today, Tyler. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah. It was, uh, it was a fun, fun experience on the trails with you. Yeah, with me? Yep, with me. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll kick off this conversation then, Tyler. So um, so I don't know a lot about you. What, we, what I'd like to do is get to know you, like, um, kind of go back, just get to know you from, like, uh, start of sports and all of that, and then we're going to get into your philosophies and um, current day stuff, if that's cool. So are you a, are you a Minneapolis yeah. uh, native, or where, where are you from? Grew up in Chicago area, Naperville, if you know the town. How, how many times have and we been then, to North Central College, Bracken? North Central College is my favorite track race of my life, yeah. probably, outside of Drake Relays. Okay, two good ones. We'd always go there for Twilight Meets and yeah. do uh, Last Chance Qualifiers, and it's just warm and crisp and still, always. We never had bad weather there, and you just rip it up under the lights. I loved it. Yeah, I've spent a lot of time on that track. I believe it. When did you, uh, so I'm assuming, um, looking at your running acumen, that uh, you probably didn't go to North Central College, though, did you, Tyler? You might have ran somewhere else. Yeah, I went to Iowa State. Um, was there five years, so I registered a year. And really, I mean, performance-wise, we're talking about races, like nothing of note. I mean, I came out of high school, like, pretty decent i ran like 917 in the two mile and scholarship to iowa state and then just like injury after injury never did anything that you consider even like a d1 time honestly i mean 1457 30 36 5k 10k prs which i mean they're good like generally but for a d1 school i mean sure there's plenty of so you guys ran d3 i'm sure there's plenty of d3 guys who mm-hmm. We're beating that pretty consistently, right? Yeah. I washed out of D1 because I was not capable of running a D1 time. And then, yeah, we ran. Yeah, each year someone runs 14 teen or low. and Yeah. Yeah. Breaks 29. and it, it, They're fast. For the average person, that's astronomically fast. But it doesn't speak to, like, yeah, Olympic trials potential. Yeah. So, I mean, that's kind of like, I mean, I'm jumping through. You can stop me wherever. But, like, that's kind of where I ended up, like, the end of those five years. Um, I mean, really, four and a half because. Uh, so yeah, I'll dive into the, the weeds a little more. So we had a we had a new. We coach in the weeds on this podcast. Uh, yeah. Just so you're get, aware, so yeah, yeah. Never yeah. Far into the deepest weeds yeah. we can is where we're gonna get. Well, you guys, I mean, you guys like asked about high school, and I jumped right into like how <laughs> bad my college career was. <laughs> so essentially, how it went is we had a new coach come in. Um, so we had Corey Emmels. I don't know if that name means any of you. He was our, my coach for the first three years there, and then Martin Smith who is big-time coach. He won championships at Wisconsin, went to Oregon, went to Oklahoma. Really, like, well-renowned coach. He came in, and he was just a hard-ass right away. Like, comes in, cuts 80% of the team. And not because it's like, you guys suck, you're off the team. It was like, if you're going to go out drinking, if you're not going to, like, try as hard as you can, there's no spot for you, right? So... By the end of that first year, it was like 20 guys on the men's team down to like four, honestly. They were like really? actually being coached. There were a couple that were like, you train on your own, you can race and prove you're good enough. But I mean, it was really like that cut and dry. And I somehow was able to stick around, not because I was fast, but because I was willing to work hard. And I mean, so 
the other the other three out of the four they had great success right away because um, Martin Smith's a great coach. I kind of didn't even do much better. I mean, I did a little better under his coaching, but like it, it kind of just seemed like I was no good, right? What um, style does he have? Um, What's I his mean, thing? So I I would say the big change for me when he came in, um, it's just the intensity is so much lower than you'd expect and just the workload and the overall, like he was all about like training systems and not just like going out there and running hard for the sake of work, running hard. Was he like um, a five pace guy or what? I go, what? what? What do you mean by when training systems, like specific days or was he trying to hit multi-pace training? What was he, what was his system? No, I mean, it'd be like, so our, our first cross country season, when he came in, we did two workouts and we repeated every week. We would do hmm. four mile tempo on the track, which is like five twenty pace, and we would do like an eight mile progression on the cross country course, like six flat to five thirty maybe. And it's just it. like so frustrating for me because I'm I was the guy who was always like I want to work really hard. I want to get really good, right? Like the, the classic formula: you work hard, you get better, right? And he can't, comes in, and I'm like, we're not training hard enough at all. Like, this isn't going to work. What part right? of the season is this, just to jump in? Is this, like, in its entire season? The entire season. The entire season. We never even did intervals. Like none just to even, like, work some turnover? No, it was, like, nothing. And then, like, I mean, we, we got third at regionals. We almost made nationals. Like, it was crazy. I mean, I ran 23.57 that year. That was, like, one of my <laughs> best. That was my best season of college, you know? Just, like, sub-threshold training. Yeah, just nothing. Like, really, just nothing. Were you packing on a lot of volume, like 100-mile weeks and just... I had been prior to that. He brought me back down to, like, 70, 80 sometimes. And, I've never heard this before from um, a high-level... High like, no, I yeah. mean, like, he had... Uh, so he brought... When he came along, he brought assistant coaches from Oklahoma. And the year... The, a couple years. I don't know exactly the year. But when he was coaching in Oklahoma, he had five milers break four in the mile indoors in the same year. And one of them was still an assistant coach. He was coming by and he was telling us about like the year that they did that. And he said they only did fart licks and like progression runs. And they never even touched four minute pace. Like they never touched a track. They never touched four minute pace. They just did like fart licks. And then they went and ran indoors and five of them broke four. Wild. So it's just like, I get, I mean, even doing strides, it was like, he told us, you're you like start with like 19 and get down to like 16 and this is like 100 meter strides so we're running 19 minute second strides which feels like you're walking you know uh you're not you're not gonna burn I'm out waiting for like you're not the... gonna burn out with that kind of training <laughs> no there's no secret here yeah. there's no secret it's just like it's hard to so fathom why is the theory so just sometimes. all these kids are so insanely talented let's just show up healthy like, well, i don't i don't know it's i it's just you can maybe get. I mean, you just get the same stimulus with less effort, and you're not burned up. Well, and then you go race, and you get these big VO2 max type efforts in, and maybe by the end of the season, instead of feeling wiry and spread thin, you're feeling hungry, and fitness comes around just in time. I don't know, yeah. but did you race all out every race, or did he have racing like rev limiters? Uh, we'd race all out, but we did. Let's see, we ran Lehigh, and then we ran. Wisconsin. Oh no, we skipped Wisconsin. 
there was some deal where we like we ended up screwing us over but we ended up skipping like wisconsin pre-nets weekend mm-hmm. and so we didn't have the at-large points and we got third at regionals and we didn't get in but i think we just did lehigh big 12 regionals so we i mean we were you didn't even race yourself anymore. <laughs> yeah wow so did he ever interesting it, it was it, it was it was mind-blowing to me too that like you could just not do anything, and it's fine. Well, you did. I mean, you ran. I mean, running sub twenty fours in the eight k on a cross course is very respectable. Did he ever sit you down and say, "Okay, here's the why"? Like in college, I don't ever. Like I had great coaches. We were national champs in cross. I was an all American in track. I felt like I was very well coached, but I was never very well explained to. Like this is why we're doing it this way. College that never happened for me. Did that happen for you? Like this is the why, or you just followed the lead and didn't really understand well i mean so that was the downside of the program it was like <laughs> you were expected to be a robot you know and i don't i don't feel like the why was the why was ever quite explained i just feel like it was like you follow this you do what i say and you're gonna run fast <laughs> and i mean we were robots and we just executed you know it was like you don't need to be nervous you don't need to do anything special you just execute what you know how to do and i mean i don't i don't still like follow this this is good to like mm-hmm. get me out of that like more is better over training cycle and into like some nuance i mean this is the other end of the spectrum and from there i took both those approaches and found the in between i'd like to think but um just to see like this total like polar opposite of everything i've ever done and how it can work was pretty groundbreaking for me hmm. so you did those two once each per week yeah it was like tuesday friday hmm. makes me feel good that i could we i you... could go go to iowa state right now and go go hang with guys for workouts for the uh for the entirety yeah. Yeah. <laughs> at 39 you feel great I feel really until race yeah. day and then i'd be like oh shoot <laughs> so what would the first mile feel like of that first race was it system shock or were you just strong enough from this that it was you could cardiovascularly handle it. I don't remember it being a shock. Because it's like, I mean, really, how fast are you going? Like, you go out in 450 on a cross course, and it's like, I mean, it's faster. I mean, it's like 440. Well, if you're running 23, yeah. it's quicker. Yeah, I don't I don't remember anything, like, of that being a shock. Because we, we kind of always had it, we had it all going with his, like, philosophy was the idea of we packed up. And, like, so everyone had to run together, like, no matter who's fastest. And we'd take that through, like, 5K, and then, like, the top two guys would be allowed to go and just run people down. So, I mean, it was, like, it just felt like we were, like, just doing a tempo, you know? And Mm -hmm. then you just, people just come back. I mean, nobody runs smart, right? Right. Cross country You even face it. You feel like a hero. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's, that's not an answer we've ever had on here before. That's fantastic. Yeah. Okay, so it was, I mean, a, it was an interesting experience with uh, Coach Smith. The classic story is you get to college. This is what I had, and this is mm-hmm. what we hear a lot on here. Is and the coach throws you to the deep end of the pool, and everything is the volumes skyrocketing, your intensity skyrocketing, your racing workouts just to hang on with upperclassmen. This is the mm-hmm. dead opposite of that. And I've never well, I mean, that, that was before. my first three years, and it wasn't even the coach telling me to. It was me just thinking that that was the right thing to do, and I mean, I. 
it's part of why, like my whole college experience, I don't have much to show for it running wise. Talk about rattling the cage, knowing one way of training for three years and then as a senior being thrown a completely different training style, that had to be a difficult, I don't know, transition. I mean, I was open to it. I wasn't running well, oh, I was sure. getting injured. It's like, eh. okay. If, if I was running well, I'm sure I'd be a little more resistant, but I don't know. I thought I was capable of more than what I was doing. Mm. So how old are you right now, Tyler? Just turned 30. Just turned 30. So you've been out of the collegiate running scene for like eight, nine years. Eight years, let's call it. Yeah. Nine years. Um, so I just recently saw you had run um, – what is the organization that puts on the track meets uh, around the country? Charles Miles and Miles and Tracksmith. It was yeah. like a um, – Very cool organization. Very cool and seemingly well-run events. And so for perspective, you said you ran 1450-something in college. And I just watched you run uh, circuit day 1430 and maybe even dipped in the 1420s in your last race. So you're you're faster at 30 than you were at 21, 22, huh? Yeah, it was 1425. I think I, I think I could have run faster. Yeah. I, I, think I, I think I've got like a – I'd like to think I have a sub-14 in me, but I, I, I need, I'd need some specific training for that. Did you spike up for that 1425? No, I wore I wore vapor flies. Yeah. I saw some Asics you were running. Recently, yes. Those are pretty nice. I uh the Edge or the Sky. The Edge. Yeah, you like that? Yeah, you can like actually feel like the pop. Like they're they're not as comfortable, like they're actually very uncomfortable. But you can feel like compared to the vapor fly, they just like pop you up quicker. And I don't have any shoe endorsements, so this is just yeah. authentic feedback <laughs> mm. so i guess growing up like obviously you were an accomplished high school runner you went on and ran college you um felt like you never saw your potential through i'm the same way i was an all-american as a freshman in the 1500 354 which isn't crazy but it's d3 and i was a freshman and then basically got injured and sick and never saw my collegiate career um i basically hardly competed after my sophomore year and then refound running in sport after I got healthy and into my twenties, thirties, I'm almost 40 now. Um, my intention is to set some master's records for you to chase down in 10 years, but, All um, right. but point being is that like I had a, a rebirthing, we'll call it of sorts and Bracken, you too, really, I would say we both had rebirth, like, um, you know, uh, a new purpose again in endurance training, uh, and it's been really nice to find this again in my late twenties, thirties. And now, like I said, almost 40 and Bracken's what, what are you? 36, 35. 35. So anyways, so did you, what I'm asking is, um, obviously you're still pedal down. Like you're running hundred mile weeks. You're running really fast. You just ran 64 minutes in the half marathon, um, set the course record here in a Minneapolis race. And for those who don't know, like Minneapolis can get swept under the rug as far as like a distance running hub, but we have legit athletes that race and train here. And so it's no easy task to go out and win a big race, let alone set a record here. And so I, I think I, what I want to focus on is like what happened after college and how did we become Tyler of today? Like what happened in these last eight years? How do you become buddies with Walmsley and, and ribs and like those things along the way, I would kind of like to know you can start wherever you'd like. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, it kind of, it kind of, the college experience leaked into that. So Smith came in my fourth year, right? And I ran cross country. I ran track the summer after he like sat a couple of us down. He was like, you guys should go train at Flagstaff for the summer. So I did me and a couple buddies. We got like a studio apartment and I slept in the closet. Just classic, like college Mm -hmm. guys going to altitude. 
um, and had a great summer of training. And it was, and I came back like ready to go for cross and I'm our eighth runner, right? Like not any better than I was the year before. And I mean, it like, it was a little like crushing of my spirit. It's like, am I just no good? Right. Super senior years. And then, yes, this is fifth year. And so I had a track season left and after cross country, like Martin Smith, and I mean, at this point, like, honestly, he has no reason to like, keep, keep me on the team, right? Like he has no need for me. Like, I'm not going to run well on track, but he sat me down he was like, Hey, I think you should just stay on the team and train for the marathon. Like run grandma's in June, forget about track season. Let's just like, I'll coach you still. And you can train with work, run workouts with the team when it makes sense and just run grandma's. And so he, he put me on this, this buildup that winter where I was just running only singles and 120 miles a week, which like the highest I've been was a hundred maybe. And probably like one Oh five. 120 on singles. 120 on singles. So, what, okay. We're going to stop. Only, right away. What did that week look like? <laughs> yeah. Like walk me through it. it. It was, so it was, I was only allowed to run on gravel. And so I would just drive my car out to the gravel road. I would go eight miles out, eight miles back. I mean, my days were like 16, 18, or 14, and you like this. This is this is classic Martin Smith. So I did two workouts. I did a 10-by-mile workout, seven-minute cycle, and I would do like 508, 504 recoveries just to get to seven minutes. And so this would be on the indoor track in the winter because it's can't run outside in Iowa. And so that was Tuesday. So Monday would be like 16 easy tuesday is 10 by mile on the track so i'm getting about 16 miles in there wednesday probably 18 thursday friday about the same like 14 to 16 range i'd maybe go 12 by saturday and then it was 20 every sunday and then 24 once a month and it's like that's all i did for like 15 weeks out and back was, gravel and 10 by yeah mile. just by myself like i didn't even i didn't wear headphones like i'm just by myself i'm sensing and i think this is there some you got some do you ever some respect for this coach i'm, I'm understanding like i kind of like this guy i don't even know him for some reason like uh, no let me tell you everyone like all of my college friends are in that i mean all but like one or two are in that group that was like cut from the team when he got in so i'll go back to like reunions with these guys and everyone's just talking shit about this coach like how he's an asshole, how he came in. He, like, didn't give anyone a chance. And I'm, like, just mouth shut because, like, I mean, in my, he he's the reason I'm still running. I don't think I'd keep running if he didn't get me on this plan where I actually finally found success in the sport, you know? Mm-hmm. And I mean relative success. Like, I'm not, I don't want to be disrespectful and say that 30-30 isn't a good 10K time. But, I mean, for what I thought I was capable of. It's like, all relative. Was, yeah, right. Mm-hmm. All right, so I'm going to stop you right there for a second because this is a situation to me that highlights the difference between D1 and D3. In D3, yeah. we had a guy run uh, a Stillen, uh, David Stillen, Joe Stillen's little brother. Okay, you know, yeah. 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 He, so th- those two grew up probably three or four miles from my house, and I think my brother competed against them in high school. So, Isn't he from Texas? or where, He went where to Texas, but he's from Milwaukee. Oh, okay. I didn't know Went to school at, I believe, Milwaukee King. Okay. Uh, anyway, th- that's not the point. 
It's yeah. not about name dropping. It's about using these guys. David Stillen ran a half prior, like two weeks before cross season or in the middle of cross season or at the end of cross, or something like that. And he ran like, I want to say he ran 68 or 69, mm-hmm. which in D3, everyone was like, they didn't know anyone who'd ever run sub 70 and a half because at that stage in your life, no one's run a half and yeah. he was punished for it. His coaches were furious with him. You don't run long road races when you're in college. It's bad for your development. You're, huh. you're working on track. You're working on cross. And then we- This was in these, the summer? No, no, no. This was fall. This was during- Oh, okay. This was this during- was okay. Either right before or right after cross. Yeah. I thought it was okay. right before cross. And his coaches were furious. And then you hear these stories at D1 programs, like Mike Smith, for example, another well-respected Smith who's yeah. constantly telling guys, like, I think you're the guy that needs to go to the marathon sooner rather than later. And you've got a coach that not only did that, but wrote a training plan for you while you were still in college. And you hear some BYU guys who are being groomed for the marathon while they're still there. Like Mance is about to make his debut. And he's been yeah. preparing for it since he was a, what, a, a 13th year senior? Whatever yeah. it was. Thirty <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but that's it's one of the huge differences where D three is like riding on whatever the coaches learned from D one coaches like a decade earlier. A lot of them. Uh-huh. And D one guys are very open to you can move to the roads early. That it was just so stark that you were punished for it in D three. And yeah. you you were promoted down it. Yeah, I mean I was he left me on scholarship and he told me I didn't have to run another race within a team uniform, you know? I mean it's yeah. So you went monk mode, as we called it. We call it. You went yes. monk mode, running 120 mile weeks on singles through the winter of what was this? Probably 2012, uh, 2015. 2015. Oh yeah, yeah, 2015. Yeah. So uh, what happened? Walk us through that. It. I had like the longest period of health that I'd ever had, and I mean, looking back on it, it's probably just this lack of intensity, right? Like I'm running slow. It's I'm not just pounding intervals. It's Volume in and of itself isn't what get you get you injured, right? It's hard volume, and so I had like sixteen weeks there where I was at one twenty, and I wish I still had the training log. I don't, but um, I that spring I started. I did some road ten ks, and they went well. I mean, they were just kind of like by myself, and I ended up getting injured before grandma's, so I didn't end up running grandma's that year, um, but. So, I mean, the, nothing nothing really, like, immediate to show from that that period of time. But I do think it transformed me as a runner. And so we get to May. I graduate. I'm just recovering from, it was like a undiagnosed, but, like, pubic bone, whatever. Something in the hip. Something took, like, four to six weeks to heal. And so I graduate. I get that job I was telling you guys about earlier with the Daily Fantasy Sports Startup, and that's fully remote. They're based out of Canada. So I can just kind of do what I want, and I decide I'm going to move to Flagstaff, and I'm going to just try to run a good marathon. So pack up, move on down to Flagstaff. This is your um, second go-round in Flagstaff. You went there in the off-season in between semesters in college, and now you're going back to not live in a closet and train. Got yes, it. exactly. Okay. Had a real bedroom this time. Nice. I had a real job that like worked perfect with training. They were totally on board with it. So I mean, it was a perfect setup. Like everything kind of aligned 
and my a roommate of mine had got a job down at Flagstaff also, so it was like everything was like perfectly set up for me to just go give it a go for. I mean, and the goal was back in my mind, Olympic marathon trials qualifier, even though it was like seemed totally unfeasible based on the times I'd run. So I go out there and I mean, the way Flagstaff's community is, is like they have community runs constantly, like long runs, the bagel run, and everyone's like extremely open to letting you jump into workouts. So just showed up, started showing up to these runs getting completely dropped by everyone on long runs, but I don't know, getting stronger. Um, I trained mostly by myself for the first portion there. And then I ran the Chicago marathon in October. So I was living in Flagstaff by like three months by then. Um, ran Chicago and I ran 222, I believe. And at that point, that was just funny. So I ran 222, and all my college friends are, like, blown away, right? Because no one's still running. Everyone stopped running after college, right? So I get, like, a hundred texts, like, congratulations, like, mind blown. And I get back to Flagstaff, and I go to, the, I go to like, the bagel run that Thursday. And I remember Nick Arseniaga, who I, like, talked to a little bit. He wasn't a friend yet, but he, he asked me a lot. He, like, walked up to me. He was like, tough race in Chicago, huh? (laughs) And it was so, it was so funny just to like that contrast of like, I'm thinking I ran great. Everyone's texting me like, great job. But just like in the context of the Flagstaff community, like 222 is really bad, you know? (laughs) (laughs) And uh, from there, like I I remember I talked to like Ben Rosario and Nick and like Asked them like, "Hey, what do I need to do, like training wise?" Like, it was two nineteen flat. Was that the qualifier at that point? It was two eighteen at that point. They changed it to two nineteen, like two months before the closing window. Okay. And so, so uh, this is actually so. uh, So the window closed January like fifteenth or so. Houston Marathon was the last race. Right after Houston. So yeah, so we're we're in October right now. I ran 222 i'm thinking i can maybe run 218 so i I signed up for houston which is that three months later and i remember i talked to rosario i talked to nick and nick i mean nick is a great friend now he brought me under his wing and he like really guided me there in training and everything um and so i signed up for houston i asked these guys like what do i need to do in training i did all those things i had like a perfect like 10 weeks or whatever it was there and then I'm planning on running Houston, planning on targeting 218, and right before the race, like a couple weeks before, a month before, I don't know what it was, they changed the standard from 218 to 219. So I'm thinking, like, I got this now, right? And it was just, like, the perfect race. Like, 218.36 or something like that is what I ran. Nice. But, I mean, that's, like, I don't know. There's so many, like, little stepping stones here where it's, like, this needed to happen for me to keep running. But that Mm -hmm. was probably one of them was that finally accepted as a an adequate or mediocre time in flagstaff yeah i think so yeah i don't maybe not yet not not in nick's mind nick <laughs> didn't so i had to run the trials the trials was four weeks after that right so i came back for the trials and i ended up getting 36 which was just like man you back up six months and that is would have been an impossibility would you run but, the trials 
it was LA, so it was super hot. So I ran two twenty four and mm. just like even split it and let everyone blow up. And you must have gobbled people up like crazy then. Oh yeah, no, I was it. like two hundredth place at half halfway. Yeah. How did it feel good? Yeah. I had a buddy run that one, and he he faded and caught like forty five people in the second half. Yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah so th- after that i think was probably when <laughs> i was accepted but um at least by nick's standards let's, let's make nick the nick was like the 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 godfather of flagstaff at that point so um <laughs> he was the guy you had to impress <laughs> this is impressive okay this is impressive and this is all still back in 2015 2016 this was the 2016 okay. trials yeah um 2016 yeah it'd be 2016 um question for you uh based on something you alluded towards is you mentioned that and i want to pick this back up where you your storytelling here but you mentioned going to flagstaff kind of like it's a welcoming you can plug in and jump into workouts sort of community can you describe how that is because you hear a lot of guys go to flagstaff i mean jacob ingerbritson goes to flagstaff and freaking trains right like people go to flagstaff and train um like, what is that culture like? Like, how do you go just move to Flagstaff and get plugged in and start running with people? Like, what is that experience like as, like, a, a hungry, trying-to-make-it runner? Like, could you talk through that a little more? Yeah. Well, okay. So, I mean, the, the group runs, right? Like, the store, the running store, they host a run Wednesday mornings. And it's just, like, an easy run. But, like, everyone's invited. Everyone who's visiting, I mean, everyone's welcome. And so that that's usually a smaller crew. And then there's the bagel run on Thursdays same idea that one like a lot of people go to some days you'll have like 60 people show up in front of biff's bagels at is it 8 a.m 7 a.m i think it's 8 a.m on thursday see i'm i don't even remember anymore so, to interrupt and then quick, long run sorry to interrupt real quick yeah. like you know running groups at some of the local popular running stores may be full of three-hour marathoners four-hour marathoners um, any of the groups I'm familiar with, it's not like, it doesn't like the elites don't go out of their way to go to bagel runs, at least from my knowing. No, no, so, dude, the bagel run is like all well, elites. Well, right. Like those, these like group runs out of places tend to be for the everyday runner. At least when I lived in Madison, Wisconsin, that was definitely uh-huh. the case. Anything I found here, which I don't join of just, this is through secondhand knowledge. So anyways, this is a unique thing to Flagstaff, like high end runners, show up to bagel runs, correct? Or does this happen all over the country and I'm just under a rock? No, I think you're right. Okay. This, this seems pretty unique. Okay, continue. Yeah. I don't shoot up too many bagel runs here. <laughs> I can't imagine. Maybe I should. <laughs> but yeah, and then uh, Sunday long runs. I mean, that's the big one. So there will be, there's like a Facebook group and it's open. Anyone can go, anyone can join. But um, they'll just like pick a different dirt road and it's always just like some dirt road that's going through the woods. But they pick one every weekend, and I swear, I've been to some where there were 300 people show up, and you just start down this trail, and there's 300 people just going down a dirt road. And you can, like, I mean, I have pictures even where you just, like, can see, like, a mile of just a crowd. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, that's the one that, like, everyone goes to. Like, out of town, you got, like, Bowerman guys show up, OTC guys, you got um, internationals. I mean, there's always, like, an Australian group or, like, Everyone. I mean, even Yaka would probably go to that one. Um, and so, I mean, those are the kind of things where you get to just like, and everyone's just like open to talking. No one's not going to talk to you if you say hi. So, I mean, that's where you kind of, I don't know, whether they say bump elbows with people mm-hmm. who are fast and they're open to you know, ask advice or anything. I mean, 
so that that's kind of how it how it starts and then from there i mean even like the majority of people i mean some people aren't but the majority of people if you ask like hey what do you got for a workout next week mind if i jump in they're usually pretty open to that too what a cool culture i like that yeah before we do move on i'm curious a what were the injuries you dealt with in college and then b now that you're in flagstaff yeah. what happened from your high mileage high intensity down to running high school volume with i don't know farley yeah. and then how did that culminate with what you learned or mix i guess with what you learned in flagstaff so start with injuries and then i want to hear what you're doing training plan wise yeah, I mean, when I was younger, it was just about everything. I mean, I had a lot of stress fractures. Um, that would probably be the main thing that was, like, long-term stuff. I mean, so I Why do you think big... that was? I I don't know. I mean, it could have been just... Well, it could have been I was, just, I was just trying to, like, roll the ball too quick, right? Like, I never gave my body a chance to, like, actually build up that bone density, actually, like, adapt to the kind of mileage i was trying to do and i was just trying to push everything too fast or it could just be came with age right like i mean i was just too young bone density hadn't quite gotten there yet because i mean by the time i got to flagstaff like i could do all the things i was trying to do before and just not getting injured anymore and i mean plus some like some of the i mean marathon training requires a lot more intensity (laughs) and longer intensity than anything i was trying to do and getting injured in college so I don't know. I mean, maybe it was the time where I just like finally adapted and got strong enough or it was age or who knows. You started to say, I cut you off. You said navicular stress fracture. Yeah. Yeah. I had, that was sophomore year. So that was like my entire sophomore year of college. But I mean, I had everything femur, I guess femur was a big one. I mean, metatarsals. I mean, everything had sacrum. I I fractured them all. I've got them all. Uh, were those cases I've had about I don't know seven stress fractures metatarsal sesamoid cuboid um, tibia like Ooh. four times but you hear about the femur you hear about the sacrum those are you don't see those very scary. often those are scarier yeah those had to be tough recoveries huh and were they were they one of those things like for me it's like in my tenured age now I can see the warning signs and back you know I get ahead of it and then it's not a problem um, however were those things were like you wanted it so bad you kept you knew something was niggling or niggling you trained through it you kind of made your grave and then had to lie in it or with these like one run damn my leg hurts i'm out no i mean it, it was either that first thing where like i'm i wanted to run bad and i ran through it or honestly i mean a lot of them are just trainers not doing a good job you know like here, here's my biggest pet peeve. When you walk in and you ask, like, a doctor or a PT, like, you tell them the top of your foot hurts, and they try to say it's anything but a bone. Because what else is there? Like, <laughs> how many times I've seen someone walk and uh, go up to a PT and ask and tell them, like, the top of my foot hurts, and they do a bunch of tests, and they're like, I think it's a tendon or a ligament. It's like, no, it's the only thing on top of your foot is bones. Like, it's pretty easy to identify, you know? And so that's what the navicular was. They kept telling me over and over, like, you have a tendon. It's a tendon issue. It's tendinopathy. And it's like, it really hurts, man. And it's like throbbing all night. And then finally it broke. Like, and I could tell you the moment it did because I collapsed. But um, yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of a pet peeve of mine is that they don't just, hey, maybe it is like a catastrophic thing that you shouldn't be running on. They just assume it's always 
Yeah, you run through it, the tendon, you know. Maybe rule out the big one and then work on a rehab if it's Yeah, exactly. One. Yeah. <laughs> There's any possibility, right? All right, so you're in Flagstaff now. Are you absorbing their workouts or are you jumping in? Like you said, uh, Nick gave you the training plan. Is it his work entirely or are you starting to fold in what you had kind of started to meld together already? Yeah, um, so the the big thing I, I got from both of them was this idea of like, a float fart lick. So, I mean, this is something I still do now, but it's like the whole idea of like, I remember Rosario gave me this. It's just, an, I mean, it's not like groundbreaking, but it was like an hour of like minute on minute float. And the idea being like, you're trying to average marathon pace. So like I'm training for like 518 pace, right? So I'll be doing like minute at five flat to 505, minute at like 535 to 540. Mm-hmm. And just, I mean, the first time you try to do that, it's like trying to recover at 535 pace. Like this is a joke, you know, but being, but doing those workouts and like getting, getting to a spot where I could actually recover at let's say 540 pace. That was like really a big difference when it came to racing a marathon for Mm me. Just having like that be the bottom end of like, all right, worst case scenario, I can still recover at this pace. I would say the biggest, How'd you... the piggyback that, sorry, Bracken, uh, the biggest, oh. I'm by no means um, the fastest, fastest person that's ever existed. In fact, I'm far from it, but I've maintained really good fitness in to my late thirties and almost 40. I think I can run, I think I can run sub 15 in the five right now, for example, which for me would be very Didn't good. Didn't you just do it? A no, I ran 15, 28 in a time trial um, on the roads. Oh, I thought you were a hunter. No. Yeah. Thank you, okay. though. Um, but the point being is I think – and now Bracken and I have this debate, like, what is a float, right? Like, what is a float? Like, it's a little subjective, right? Like, tempo is subjective. But I think one of the biggest things that I've learned, and, and I don't know about you, Bracken, but, like, take – it used to be, like, five by a mile with three minutes rest. Now it's, like, okay, five by a mile with a quarter mile recovery, but that recovery is prescribed pace as well. Maybe it's seven-minute pace. And just keeping the heart rate elevated and forcing yourself to recover well – actively still working in some capacity. Now, I wouldn't say seven-minute pace is a float, but to piggyback what you said, I have found the fitness needle has really moved for me in changing into active recovery or float-type um, work in between quality sessions. And so just interesting to hear you say that, like that was a, a pretty big bump for you fitness-wise because I've noticed that. And um, whether I'm floating or not between things, it's still an active an active type recovery. Yeah. My heart rate's not allowed to get down into recovery effort zone, for example. It's staying elevated. So just to piggyback on what you were saying, I, I've noticed that with myself and other athletes. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. And I mean, there, it, it can become a problem, right? If like you're doing all float type stuff and you never actually push that top Correct. end fast enough, I mean, you can, I don't know, if you're never touching 440 pace, you're not going to be able to go run a 5K at 440 pace. So... Unless yeah, Martin Smith coaches you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, unless that. <laughs> so in that type of workout, and you're right, that, that is a workout of adaptation. Like there are some workouts where like you can make it 12 reps into a 16 rep, like four by uh, four by four by 400. Maybe week one, you make it 14 reps and you're trying to get to 16 eventually. But in that float style workout, you might blow up after four rounds of it early, but by the end of the block, you can do it. So what were you, what, what were you doing with that? Were you progressing as I'm going to hit as many perfect reps as possible and then I'm done? Or did you allow the float to decay or your pace to decay a little bit and get the volume in? Um, I think, 
I think neither, honestly. I think, like, one of the keys of that workout is that you are, like, reading your body and, like, learning. It, it's Your rep isn't just, like, All right, I'm going to go as hard as I can and then I'm going to recover. It's just <laughs> it's what is the right effort here where I am going to be able to sustain it. Okay. And I, th- I think as it goes, like, I think the rest does decay if you're having a rough one. I think that, I mean, that's inevitable sometimes. But you weren't and, trying to average 518 no matter what until it cracks. It was average the best I can do with this, and eventually we want 518. Oh, hey, this is this has triggered something for me. I remember we were, uh, this was before Martin Smith was the coach there. I was at a bar with him one night, and I'd never met him before. Um, but he, like, introduced himself to me, and he ended up, like, he ended up talking to me for like two hours in this bar. Just this kid who like is trying to run and he doesn't know who I am. But like Martin Smith or not Martin Smith. M- sorry, not Martin Smith. Um, who's the coach right now? For Mike, Smith. North- Mike Smith. Sorry. I'm mixing up my Smith. Mike Smith in a bar. This is before he was the coach at Northern Arizona. And he just like talked to me for a whole like probably an hour. It felt like forever. But he was talking about this whole idea of like, he sees so many people come to Flagstaff and they want to run a time and they Mm -hmm. think I'm going to do all these workouts at these paces to try to run this time. But that's such a backwards perspective. You need to run the effort and you get as good as you can get. And then the time is just a result of that. And he was just like preaching this whole idea of like, you don't go into a workout trying to run a time you run, what the workout is intended to be effort wise and you can't control where you are today or what your fitness is but you run the effort and you just get as good as you can get and maybe that end time becomes better what you thought than what you thought you were capable of so just to come back Mm -hmm. to this and say it's not my philosophy this is everything i'm going to say here is stolen from somebody else but um i don't know that's like the way i try to approach the part like is where like i'm not staring at the watch i'm not trying to hit a pace i'm hoping mm-hmm. it's 518 at the end of it but i mean you're just feeling out like what is the pace i can't maintain for an hour of minute on minute off or whatever the workout is for the day and see this is what's fascinating to me about endurance racing is because this is like the current best practice in the western hemisphere and then you hear an east african coach talk about why are they better and they talk about that you'll have a whole village show up and everyone runs the world champion's pace until they crack. And where mm-hmm. we would go home and say, oh, I made it five reps and blew up. They go home and say, I was as good as a world champ for five reps and next week I'm going to make it six. And it's like both sides, when you listen to them, it makes logical sense. <laughs> and you could you could look into the physiological side and say, yeah, you know what? I can buy into that too. And then you hear the other side and you're like, no, 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 no. That's That's what makes sense. And it's, I think it's what I love so much about coaching endurance athletes is that both are right for different people, like depending on your mindset or your, your genetic talent, like maybe that person has the genetic talent of a world champion already and they're just under trained, but like find matching that system to the person is great. Cause Mike Smith, you cannot argue with his results. Mm-hmm. You just cannot. He's beyond a reproach. He's going to go down as probably one of the greatest collegiate coaches of all time and he's starting to dabble in pros as well and yet these you can't argue with east african results either it's it's just fascinating to me that you will hear someone compellingly argue the opposite side and they both make sense yeah i wonder if it is a a factor of like 
throw 400 athletes at the wall and a couple hundred right so like is that why the east african thing works or well that was the other example they might have 200 people show up for this fart lick this five on five off and six people make it through to the end and eventually there's two world champs like was it best practice or did it work because you broke eight dozen eggs to find two that could be (laughs) world champs so yeah that that is the confounding uh variable there but yeah now, there's I so love much hearing. we don't know in physiology, right? Right. I mean, a lot of it's guesswork. And what came first? Like, what yeah. did that kid do before he showed up to that versus... Oh, for sure. Yeah. Anyway, back to you. So you're in Flagstaff. You're running some float fartlek style stuff. Still hitting big volume, I assume. Yeah. Um. Probably, yeah. I think about 120s at that time. Um. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I don't think I got much higher than 120s on the whole time in Flagstaff. Had you started the quality long run? Seems like that wasn't a piece of Martin, but it's a big piece of most American marathoners. Yeah. Um, so I guess I was kind of doing like a Wednesday, like quality long run and then, or like structured, I guess it'd be like a long far lick or mm-hmm. like three by three mile with mile float, something like that. And then Sundays I was doing, I would just show up to a long run, the community one. And that one is like, that one's a workout if you just try to keep up with the front pack. And I remember specifically Jim Wamsley was like the guy who would show up to that one, like ready to race every weekend. And it, it was like, I almost feel like it was like a vendetta of his just like show these like road marathon guys that he could drop them on a long run. And I got dropped every week trying to stick with Jim. It was just like, it, it would be nuts. It would, I remember him and Kia Dandino were like the two who would like, really throw down at everybody um but i mean nick would every now and then and people would choose their spots but Mm -hmm. jim was a consistent always like trying to crush that sunday run was it i love the debates about will he or won't he be good at the at the road marathon and we have a couple of buddies who trained with him and they're all like (laughs) the only people debating that are the people who have never been to flagstaff yeah yeah, no, I, uh, there was one time I tried to do a 30 mile run with Jim on Lake Mary Road and I made it maybe 20 and I was like, I was, I did just run like 216, you know, it's like, I should be able to go at least 26 miles with Jim, but no, not even close. And then like he, pro- he progressed after he dropped me, <laughs> like he didn't slow down. <laughs> Does that turn into, um. Like, uh, like you got guys out there sort of racing their long run for big stimulus efforts. Is that what it turned into often for you? It's so hard to know. I mean, for me, like <laughs> I was, I was doing everything I could, right. To keep up. I have no idea how hard anyone else was going. So. Wild. So I'm going to, I'm going to spoil something for the listeners here. Um, <laughs> tell them that you're a 212 marathoner. So. Something has happened. And that's mind-blowing to me. I mean, what do you see? Some years you see 209 go to the Olympics, for example, um, as an Olympic U.S. marathoner. Uh, maybe even slower. I don't know. Bracken would know better than I would. You would know better than I would. But um, So let's let's walk us through all this then. So we get – I'm understanding where, like, where now this shift in your training and your life happens, right? Like you went down there, recommitted, found success, plugged into a great group of people, a great community, and were like kept – getting more and more of a taste and you kept on it. Right. So mm-hmm. what happened? Like, like, not that I want to move on from Flagstaff cause I certainly don't. I'm actually very fascinated with that, but 
Um, like, let's bridge that gap now. Like, let's talk about the transition into your PR so far. Like, what happened? What's been, yeah. What had been going on? Um, so there, <laughs> there probably is another phase there where, like, so after those trials there, there is the phase where, like, Nick Arsniaga, he was kind of on the back end of his career, and I was, we had gotten to the point where we were, like, overlapping, right? And we, we there was a good, like, six months there where we trained together and he like really i mean i'd say like he really mentored me along um and that was another big jump i would say and then i'll just skip over that we can come back if you want but from there um so my wife katie had been living in minnesota not wife at the time um we had like just started we went to college together iowa state we'd stayed in touch and we kind of just like started dating long distance um as i moved to flagstaff and then that it eventually turned to the point where we wanted to go to live in the same place so obviously i have to move um Mm -hmm. because she's not gonna move but (laughs) it's a man's duty i guess working out so i ended up moving up to here st paul um joined it was team usa minnesota at the time minnesota distance lead now um the team that she was on and that was july of 2017 so i was only in flagstaff for about two years um and so i've been here since july of 2017 and i guess um yeah so i mean from there it was like i i came in switched over to the training program the coach is doing here I mean, I have all my beliefs at this point about, like, what I think I need to do, which works. And so I switched over to the training program, didn't find much success right away, and got really frustrated, and I'm, like, a little bit emotional, and I get, like, I get very disagreeable when something's not working, so I, I probably didn't handle it the best. But my coach, great guy, harder goal, like, very tolerant to, like, me, whatever, blaming him for me not running well. Um, I'm going to stop you again real quick. Sorry. Yeah. Um, These are curiosities. No, yeah, I've I've been interrupting you a bit, but it's with reason. So just to slow to understand one aspect of that transition, um, because a lot of our listeners are what we call age group athletes. Like they go out there and they're looking to like win their Mm -hmm. age group. They're not looking to. We have a few top end elite athletes that are world class, but that listen, but not a ton. Anyway, so uh, a national caliber runner like yourself running high-level times, Olympic qualifying standard in the marathon, moves to Minnesota. And is it as simple as, like, sliding into the coach's DMs and being like, hey, I'm Tyler, here's my resume, will you take me on? Is this coach a paid coach? How does that work, like, it, um, when you join a team like that? Yeah. C- could you just fill us in on those details before you move forward? Like, how does that work yeah, for, yeah. The, for the semi-professional athlete? Yeah, so the team <laughs> is funded by sponsors. Um, big sponsors here are, like, Twin Cities and Motions, who do Twin Cities Marathon, Grandma's Marathon, um, and then like grants with USATF and uh, Twin Cities Orthopedics. Um, so we, we have sponsors that fund the team. They pay for the coach's salary and pay for travel and stuff for the athletes. So it, it's very well supported. Um, as far as getting onto the team, there was like a formal application and it was, I don't know, I wife katie had talked to the coach at this point so it was kind of just a formality um it was what would it take didn't take much to what would it take to get on that team let's say 
Let's say I'm like getting some weird aspirations to go train with some guys, which I know is not is yeah. a false reality, but like, what would it take for you to like hang with the cool kids and get, get into something like that? Like with, with yeah. a club, a major city club like that, like what would be the resume where they'd take you? I mean, so it's honestly, if you wanted to like anyone who's trying to run like a trial standard is pretty much welcome at our, our practices. Mm-hmm. Like, even if you've run, like, 226 and you're trying to run 219, our coach will say, yeah, come on, come to practices, run with the team, whatever. Um, to officially get on the team, it's it's kind of nuanced. It's like if you're out of college and you're showing a lot, you show potential, then there's, like, a certain category. I don't know, anyone under, like, 2930 is probably in consideration on the men's side. Um, and But if you're, like, out of college, you run... I don't know. Trial standard. Yeah. You'll probably get on right away. And so, I mean, the, the interesting thing is like, so one of our rudders, Dakota Linworm, probably have heard of her. Cause she's famous now. Um, she ran D three and just like, honestly, like she'd tell you not like that great. Like she ran like 35 minutes in the 10 K. Um, she started on her team as like, not officially on the team, but you can come train with us. That was probably like four years ago. Now she's run 225 in the marathon, and she's 13th on the U.S. all-time list. So, I mean, you want to come train with the team, come along. I mean, it might work out for you. <laughs> All right, that's interesting perspective. So I interrupted you. You were saying, is that satisfying? I'm sure, Bracken, you have some questions about that. I always like had this wonderment if I actually got high-level plugged into a high level group sometime in my thirties. If like when I re re engage, you're welcome whenever. Yeah. I'll hang on to the back. You guys will make a nice draft <laughs> stream for me. Um, but, uh, anyway, so you, you came to Minnesota, got plugged in with the team. I was just curious how that happened. So we can move yeah. forward with your story. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so I mean, it was a lot of like working together with the coach for a while and like working in these kind of like float style fart licks, working in like the hard long runs that I think worked for me, pulling back some of like the intervals with like standing recovery that I don't think I respond well to. Um, and by, let's see, so January 28, was it 2018 or 2019? January 2019, I ran the Houston Marathon and that was like, I ran 213.29 there. And so that was, I'd say, it was like my, was my next big breakthrough. And that was when I feel like me and my coach, Coach Lundstrom, finally like figured out the right formula for like the right kind of training I need. And so that, that would be my next big breakthrough, if you call like Houston 218, and then like training with Nick 216, and then that 213. And I mean, honestly, I've run 212 since then, but that was on like, that time trial course it, for the listeners in COVID, they, they set up this race um, called the marathon project. It was in December down in Arizona. So December, 2020. And they took this four mile loop with no Hills whatsoever. And it wasn't really, it was like more of like a horseshoe, right? So it's like two miles, you do a roundabout, two miles roundabout and 45 degrees, no wind, not a hill on the course. And just set up for, I think, six guys broke 210 there. American guys who most of them have never done it since or again. 
And so I ran 212.40 there off of like, it was really just eight weeks of training. 213 backs it up, though. That. I don't care. It makes it legit. Cause yeah, well, so, so I consider the 213 my PR, not the 212, but I technically ran 212. <laughs> I trained out at altitude for almost three years. We moved out to Colorado Springs when I was trying to make it as a full-time runner. And coming back home, I understood it was the kiss of death for whatever aspirations I had to be any better than I currently was in that moment. I responded very well out there, mm-hmm. I, it, but it was difficult training. I couldn't do high intensity intervals at all. I couldn't do certain things. I could run bigger volume because I couldn't work as hard, but I had to do certain styles of work out there. Coming back home, I eventually realized maybe it wasn't the kiss of death, but I had to train differently and I responded to different things. So what did you find? Because a lot of people assume if you come back from altitude, it's you just have to not get better. But that's not the case for most people outside of extreme responders. So coming from Flagstaff back down, what what was the key to you to continue to improve and how did you have to change your style of workouts? Yeah. I don't I don't know if this is gonna be this is gonna be the case for most people, but I don't think I was a responder to altitude. Okay. Because, I mean, for me, it was like, at the time, when I was in Flagstaff, my best half was 65-57. Coming, I mean, it was like, I could never, I was never comfortable with five-minute pace. Like, anything under five was a sprint. So I I think the fact that I couldn't hit paces at altitude actually Mm -hmm. was the thing that hurt me. Because I, that's what I needed more than anything. I was aerobically a monster. I didn't need the altitude for that. I needed to be able to hit those speeds, Mm -hmm. those paces. So... I mean, it didn't. I I'm the exact feel opposite. Like it hurt me at all. Yeah, I'm a oh, fast yeah. Eight, you're athlete. A middle distance guy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And the mile was like pushing the 1200 was about as high as I could go effectively. Yeah. So everything about altitude was about building my aerobic engine. Yeah. So I so guess that, that would make yeah. sense because I didn't need to hit paces at altitude. Hmm. Hmm. Have you ever gotten your uh, VO2 max numbers like in the no. lab? Oh, I, I'd, I'd be interested because uh, I just I got a test a couple weeks ago. Um, and it was, it was like, it basically explained all that for me. Hmm. So what they told me is my VO2 max was 79. And what they really care about is like percentage of VO2 max you can work at, Mm -hmm. which Mm -hmm. for me, I was 93%, which means like my LT is 93% of my max, which is like, that's what you're trying to train, right? Like when you train, you're just pushing that percentage higher and higher. But that all sounds great, right? But then, but they said is my LT is also 450 pace. So I'm burning like a 74 on the VO2 max scale to run 450 pace, which means I'm just horribly inefficient, right? Like if you're running 450 pace, you might be burning 50 on that same scale, mm-hmm. right? And maybe your max is lower, but it, yeah. it just kind of like, it puts science to back up the idea of like, I just lack fast twitch muscle fibers, but mm-hmm. I have like a great aerobic engine and I don't know. I mean, I would be the exact opposite of your approach. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure you would be. That's what yeah, I would expect. I'm right, right in the middle. Yeah. And, and that can kind of tell you what training you respond to. Right. And it backs it up. Like the moment I cross over seven or eight minutes in a race, I'm useless in terms of like a three K versus a five K it's very different. And yeah. it's like the, the pace decay is so extreme. <clears throat> If you look at my what 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 I would consider a marathon pace, it would predict I'm like a a four fifty five miler. 
You know, it's just like my pace charts don't line up or yours would line up in. Yeah, exact opposite. Yeah. 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 You'd be like a, like a 355 miler or something. And yeah, sounds nice. I'll take it. Mine is probably right in the middle. Have you, have you had your VO or your yeah, VO2 max tested? Me? We did in college when I was in X-Phys grad school. Yeah. I had one test done and it was inaccurately done. Hmm. Well, students. It was done. At, I got to do it. I think it was when I was in Colorado, which a felt like, why am I doing this? Because I couldn't run hard at altitude. I know, like systemically, it'll still tell me what I need to know, but like pace at whatever was out the window. But there, it was. I got to do it because they were doing some sort of basically practice for people in the exercise phys program at a local college, and they just screwed it up. Oh. I was inputted as a female. So instead of a male on their chart and like yeah, change things, like the whole thing, like 12 Perfect. minutes and I saw them like, uh, <laughs> you realize partway through it, it wasn't going to tell me. That's anything, what you're just so. saying. Cause you scored like a 54 and you're embarrassed about it. And you're like, nah, I've always yeah. assumed I was like, I was low sixties in VO2 max. Yeah. That's not that it means anything. Like you said, it's the inflection points and it's the percentages that matter. But mm-hmm. yeah. I always assumed my VO2 max was never otherworldly. Probably better now. Kirk, do you know your numbers? This is from grad school. I was 73 um, when I was 21, 22. I haven't had it tested since. Um, we have about, I bet you weigh a lot more now, right? Uh, about 35 pounds. Heard it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, the fact I'm running as fast as I am chest. at 172 pounds, uh, I'm gonna, I'll take that. Um, oh, I'm blown away. Yeah, I, I watch all your stuff. You <laughs> stupid. Um, yeah, I should work on that, shouldn't I? Maybe give this running thing a real run. But we have a woman in our sport, Rhea Coble, who is a world champion. Uh, the longer it gets, the better she gets. And she tested her VO2 max was at like 54 or 56. And everybody's like, it was so underwhelming. But the gap between her LT and her um, and her max heart, it was like, it like she had the smallest gap in the history of, it was like, nobody's ever seen this small gap. And so her VO2 max was pathetic for a time. Do you remember seeing these stats pushed out? I forget exactly what it was, but the, the percentage she could hold was astounding. And she became an ultra 24 hour, hundred miler, any race over three hours. I mean, she'd smoke women with upper sixties VO2 maxes and it's all because that gap was so small. So there's something to that. I mean, there's interesting. very interesting. Yeah. Wasn't it like 56 Bracken? 50. I don't remember what it, and women are generally well, lower correct. anyway, but yeah, her gap, it was something like astronomical. she'd tip over 15 minutes in at VO2 max space, but like 75 minutes in at, at LT or whatever. It was just like, yeah, whatever each little deviation down, she could hold exponentially longer. Yeah. Um, anyways, that's a random story. So a little bit like you, but more extreme. So talk us through then, are you still currently training with the Minnesota squad and you're being coached currently? Yep. Um, how many guys and girls are on the squad? Let's say true taking on sponsored athletes. Yeah. Um, six guys, five girls, I believe. Okay. What's the name of the team now? It had changed. It's Minnesota distance elite. Minnesota distance elite. And you guys are under, so everything you're doing is under a structured and guided program, pretty much 365. Is that how it works now? Or like if you're in a base phase, maybe it's just like hit your mileage for the week. But like you're pretty much running a prescription right now per prescription from the coach. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I mean, for me, it's the coach is very like lets me tweak a lot of things. But okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, he will write it all up and follow the plan. Okay. So Bracken and I both coach for a living. Uh, we coach endurance athletes for a living. Um, 
And I got athletes that are training. I got them running 24-hour and 100-mile races coming up in November and December. And I have some who want to run their fastest 5K or their fastest mile. And then I have some who are running OCR, obstacle course races. Anyways, it's all over the board. And so curiosity as a coach myself is you go on this team. You're one of 11 people, let's just say. And I have to imagine not all of you have the exact same goals. You're not all training for the marathon. You're not all training for Olympic trials, potentially. Um, well, maybe you probably all are, I suppose. But like, how does the coach, how does the coach divvy that up? If you guys get together as a group. You know, in college, it's like the 800 guys may go with the 15 guys or may go with the four guys. And the 3K guy may go with the 15 or the five. You just don't know. Like, how does how does the nuances of that work in training in a program like yours? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, right now it's pretty easy because three of the men are doing all training for CIM, me included. And then we have three men who are training for more track stuff. So, I, I mean, it works out perfect there so like i don't know one of our workouts we will work out tuesday friday sunday um usually unless we have like a race that week one of our workouts the three of the marathon guys will run with the track guys the other one will probably do our own thing and they'll be on the track um and then the long run will usually be together and then if we're doing like a specific hard one we'll go out on our own but um yeah, I mean, there, there's a decent amount of overlap, even with the track guys who are training for different stuff. And then there's also, like, times we need to go on our own. It gets more complicated when we're all training for different races. Like, let's see, last year I ran Houston, and or I ran Chicago, and then my training partner ran L.A., and then another one ran Twin Cities. So we are a little bit all over the place, but, I don't know, we overlap when it makes sense and do our own thing when we need to. When you're running 219... 218 like it's really cool to train for trials and then you run 213 and life changes for everyone differently but like what was that shift in perspective in possibilities maybe in the way you approach running and others the way they approach you what happened and i know you had some stopping points along the way at 216 yeah. there and some others but what at what time that you ran something did life just absolutely change Never. It's always it's always a moving goalpost, mm. which is like the most frustrating part about it. You know, you know, like there wasn't one point though where you thought no, I go from no. trying to qualify for trials to qualify for the Olympics. Okay, so I get out of college, right, and I'm like, I'll never qualify for the trials, but maybe qualify for the trials. I think, all right, I'm just happy to be here. I got 36. That was amazing, right? And I mean, I ran 216. That was great for a week, and then it's like. I just ran 216 at Grandma's in June, and I you would have thought it was my worst race of my life because I was on 213 pace, and I blew up the last 10K, and I ran 216. And it's like four years ago, that was like the greatest race I've ever done, and now it's I'm distraught. Like It's always a moving goalpost. You're never satisfied with anything, right? Isn't that just the nature of being a human? It's the beauty of trail running. It, it is, yeah. <laughs> the beauty of trail running sometimes you just don't even know because everything's so different yeah but no it's it's a refreshing change of pace sometimes so do you think you've seen your ceiling not necessarily no. hit it do you think you've seen what it could be or are you still like hey i'm gonna try to pr and then i'm gonna choose the next one i'm i'm trying to work with that i like i, I did go through that um i don't know maybe a year ago i tried to like write down like what is a career that I 
could walk away. I mean, I'm not retiring now, but like, if I were to retire, what accolades could I walk away with and be proud of? Mm-hmm. So that the goalpost doesn't continue to move. Um, I think what I mean, what I wrote down was sub two ten in the marathon, um, other time goals in like half ten k, top ten at Chicago Marathon. It's where I grew up. Um, and yeah, I mean, just the, the whole idea of like getting that down so that I can understand when I do accomplish it that I can be happy and I can be satisfied and not just think of what else I can accomplish. It's nearly impossible. I know. Remember our freshman year of college, our coach sat us down with a notebook and he said, I want you to write down what you're going to run each year and what you want to graduate at. And he just disappeared for like 20 minutes. And I was like, well, I'm going to run for 14 and then 408 and then 404 and then I'm going to run 357. <laughs> and that's how life's going to work. And I will be a sub four miler and I'll be very happy. Like that was dumb. Yeah. But on the other hand too, saying like, I break 210, I'm going to be happy. You're going to break 210 and be like, oh, I don't know if I can ever get top five at Chicago with a 209. You know, it's like, yeah. it's impossible to predict what satisfaction will require. Well, it's so, I mean, I, I feel like I've kind of been at a plateau for a bit here, which is why I kind of went through this exercise. Hmm. And part of the exercise is I don't know, kind of what I've been toiling with lately is the idea of, if I'm starting to see that like these goals I've set do not no longer seem feasible as I'm like, let's say I'm updating. If I'm talking like a statistician here, I'm updating my prior on what my projection of what I'm capable is. I I will move on to the ultra stuff and I will move on to the trail stuff because it is something I do want to explore. And I think I'd like to do that before I'm 40 and washed up. Um, Not that you're washed up. I'm 39 sucker. (laughs) Not yet, but next year. Yeah, Yeah, totally. In May, in May, I'm totally screwed. You're washed. <laughs> so, so that's that's the idea of like, yeah, I, these things that I'd be satisfied with, and I think I'd be unsatisfied if I didn't accomplish them at this point. But um, just keep, keeping that on like the radar of like mm-hmm. making the next best decision of is that next best decision to keep pounding my head against the wall and trying to run fast marathons, or should I do something that I might possibly be better suited for? Mm. Would you um, be disowned if you were like, all right, coach, I'm going to go to the trails. I'm going to try to really do well on the trails. Would that be like, all right, well, your spot is now open for somebody else or would like, no, would a running, a... would a running team like that be like, you know what? I like you. You're fast. I'm going to support you still. Well, so here's the thing about uh Blundo is what we call him, but he, uh, he's like very similar. He ran 217. He always thought he could have run 212. And then he went to the trails and he won. Um, what did he, I don't know what he's won. But he, he's won the 50K at Afton like three times. Mm. He's won like Voyagers. He's He had a whole little ultra career himself. Mm. So I think he understands where I would be coming from if I were to make that move. Um, he'd probably try to talk me out of it. But mm. he'd understand. Got it. The coast groups might not understand, but you guys have some history of cross-country skiers who are also professional runners and that kind of thing. That helps. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. I I do want to get to the ultra part of you, the trail part, but I'm, I'm very interested. I, I think all middle distance runners are in awe of distance runners. 
And I think all distance runners are kind of in off middle distance. Like that just yeah. hurts too much. It's too, like, I can't comprehend it. We're all like, that hurts so long. I can't comprehend it. But part of what co- blows my mind, like in college watching the 10K guys is you might get two or three chances to get it right a year. Maybe. Yeah. And we at least like running the eight, I could run the eight. I mean, in twilight meets, I ran it four times in a week once and I PR'd three straight times. You, you don't get that chance as a 10K runner. And as a marathoner, it's even crazy magnified because how how many can you do in a year? Like you could get your your fitness right three straight times and have one thing like we had a headwind today, or it sleeted, or my stomach turned on me. Like one little yeah. thing negates three to six months of training. So even though you said you've been at a bit of a maybe a plateau currently, do you have some things you've eyed that are very very doable in terms of in my next one this can go better or like do you have time waiting for you or do you feel like i'm starting to run the same race more than once no absolutely i mean that that's part of the game right it's like yes you're absolutely right like you run a race and it goes poorly and you got to wait six months to do another right mm-hmm. and that that sucks and you can take that energy you can pour it into training you get even better but that is a key aspect of it where you have to like go through the race. You have to see like, where did it go wrong exactly? And like, how can I fix that for next time? Um, I mean, grandma specifically, I can like, I can tell you exactly where it went wrong and I don't think fitness was the thing. So we got to mile 19. I was with a group. We're running 213 mid pace. And the one of the guys in the group just, or I guess I feel like I was like, I was getting ready to roll, right? I was, like, feeling good. I was like, all right, I'm going to start pushing on this group. And I made a move for, like, half a mile, and then someone else made an even bigger move. And I tried to cover it, and it was just like, no, I can't do that. And he ended up, like, closing like crazy. He ran, like, 212 low. Mm -hmm. But just allowing that to, like, derail me is what ruined that race, right? Mm -hmm. And it's, like... It's stupid hindsight, right? But that's know. racing, though. If you, you don't can't learn close experiences. your best, if you're being dropped, yeah, most people right? can't. It's that's just racing. mental. Or I mean, maybe you can, right? If I can get out of that and just find my composure again, and just say like, I don't need to go with that. I just need to get back on the pace I was running, and I'll run a great race. But I mean, that self talk is everything mm-hmm. in the marathon, and I mean any long event, not just the marathon. But once you get in a bad headspace, I mean, it can just the physical, what you're physically capable of isn't going to matter anymore. And it's the same on the other side. If you can get a positive headspace, like you can do some amazing things. Like, plenty of stories of the opposite. Self talker, or you a try to keep everything at bay during a marathon? Because that's something that fascinates me. You get runners who say, I didn't have a thought, and you have runners who are like, I am constantly typing to myself, keeping my, like, I have to, like, I've got to keep my thoughts constantly going. No, yeah, I try to turn off any energy consumption that's not mm. necessary. But, I mean, there still is, like, the overall frame of, like, right. what you're, I mean, you're constantly checking in on how you're feeling and, like, you're, I don't know, projecting on how long you can hold whatever you're doing and making sure you're running the right effort. Because it's such a fine line of, like, running the right pace and running a second too fast. And that can be the difference of how you feel for the last 5K, right? Did you find you were able to stay asleep on the trails when we raced together at Afton? Or was it such a unique new experience? No, No. I got to watch my feet constantly. Okay. Yeah. It's a very different that way. Um, Vapors didn't help. 
You know what, though? <laughs> they were fine. And they held up. There's not a lot of hairpin turns. Most of it's pretty packed, and it was very dry and hard. There was no slop on the course. It actually, in hindsight, I, I will entertain wearing a super shoe there in the future. I think the benefits yeah. outweigh the cost in in hindsight yeah on that course now if you went down and raced zumbro which is an april race in that circuit uh you would have you probably would have ended up with a busted ankle but you know i'll prove you wrong i hope you do no my ankles were so sore after that i, were can't, they really? I can't even tell you That's how funny. sore they were yeah um, just constantly turning you know what's funny about that race is i uh so i ran an hour 41 in a time trial format last year and i ran seven seconds faster this year and I I, I mm-hmm. positive split by five minutes. I was five minutes faster halfway through, and died home because of you. Just so you know, <laughs> just so you know, I ran a very comfortable one forty one last year, and to run seven seconds faster this year, and to positive split by five minutes. Thank you for that. But it gets pretty tight at the end there, right? Like, didn't that slow you down? Well, having people to pass. Uh, yeah, but I mean, what ten seconds? Okay. Like maybe uh, you're passing them at a faster I I rate than like I was. Three minutes there. Oh, well, well, <laughs> screw off even more then. Um, okay, uh, I got about ten minutes here, and I want to get to two things. Sorry, to, I'm going to shift a little bit here, Bracken. Um, yeah. Uh, quickly is um, one. First thing I want to ask you is: I hear hundred mile weeks. I see your Strava. You're running hundred mile weeks. How do you stave off? Hundred. Try like try one thirty one forty. You're, you're selling me my short bad. here. Um, well, I'm sure you're real impressed with my forty. So, um, <laughs> how do you stave off burnout, man? I mean, you're working a full time job, a startup. You told us you're um, you're running hundred plus mile weeks. Let's leave it vague. How, how do you stave off burnout, man? Like how do we experience this a lot? We're at the end of the racing season for a lot of our athletes, and some of them are just cooked. You know, they're just cooked mostly because they're racing too much and they need to keep it in check. But um, what do you, what are your, what's your advice there? How do you stave that off? Somebody hears hundred mile weeks and then they hear you've been doing that for eight years. Like every 99% of the people listening be like, there's no way. There's no way. How do you do it? Yeah. I don't, I don't think I have an answer that's going to resonate. I mean, I don't have an answer that's going to resonate with the average Joe, right? Cause they're not going to understand <clears throat> maybe with the running community, but I mean, it's never been a problem. Motivation has never been a problem for me. Like, my problem has always been doing too much and needing to hold myself back. I mean, that's been the story of my career Anytime I've failed to achieve my goals. So, I, I, I the, like, the motivation has never been the limiting factor. Um, I do think a part of that is, though, like, the enjoyment of it. Because I'm not going out and I'm, like, pounding every day, right? Like four days a week are just light, like just jogging and just enjoying the weather, at least for now mm. until it gets cold out. And I, I don't know. I mean, run with people. I'll run with a podcast, a lot of easy days. Um, and then, I mean, the hard days are just fun. You know, it's like, it's not, it's, it doesn't need to be a burden. You just, it's fun to go out and crush a long run and, I think just finding the right effort where you're not straining and you're you're letting the speed you're doing on those fast days become an enjoyment. It's like taking a car for a joyride and not lifting heavy rocks up and carrying up a hill like what you do. That's but enjoyable. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think it's just... Yeah, I guess it is. 
<laughs> but I, I think it's just the framing of it where like i don't know i mean i guess that's how i how i view it is that when did you I get enjoy that? it when did hard or speed start to become <clears throat> i've found my fast not hard at any given pace how long into your running journey did it take before you could truly be asleep at the wheel working hard? Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm making it sound like I'm doing this every time. Like, sure. There's workouts where I feel dog tired and I don't want to do them. And there's workouts you struggle through. Right. But I, I think in general, the finding that balance of, and may, maybe this comes from Martin Smith. I don't know, but may, I think finding that balance of like, you are just training and there is like, you got to stop like one gear short of your highest gear or whatever you want to call it. You know, like you are in your training gear and you're fast and it's hard, but it's not all out. And that's what makes it enjoyable. How but often I, do you I don't go know. all out? I don't know why. How often um, do you get to that point where you realize I'm going to the well today and whatever it costs, it costs. I mean, in training, never intentionally. I do it a lot of times because I don't want to get dropped. You know, like <laughs> I, I never am told to go to the well in training. So you don't have any gut check intentional days. No, I mean, if we have a time trial, yeah, and if we have a a race, yeah. But I mean, I'm never supposed to. It's not to say I don't because I do, mm-hmm. but it's, I'm never supposed to go to the well in training. Kirk, don't you think that's one of the big misconceptions from the everyman about the pro runner? People train with, yeah, they that think these guys have qualified for this extra level of <clears throat> exertion. Mm-hmm. It's like that if you got like a really sore, bruised muscle and you push on it and it hurts, but it hurts in a good way. It's like you want to like embrace that feeling in your hard training versus like an open wound that you pour whatever on that makes it burn you know it's like that's not what you're going for every workout that like i this hurts so bad i can't tolerate it you want to go for the like oh you're pushing on my sore muscles it hurts but i kind of like it it's like that if you can do that every time it's sustainable and people just overcook way too often and then they're burnt to shit and they're just not even ready for their next quality day and how could they muster up the mental effort for the next quality day when they sold their soul to the devil on the previous one it's a whole mess people get themselves in we don't we know that um question for you and i hope you're willing to give away the goods a little bit here um i'm always coming up with new workouts testing on myself typically first and then prescribing to athletes uh if i feel like they're moving the needle for me um over your tenure let's just say the last eight years 10 years whatever it is if you had to give like your your top three let's go the flashy stuff not the mundane stuff that we all know you have to do like the slow easy miles the top three workouts that you believe move the needle the most for you in that half marathon to marathon distance. Like what would be the three, if you had to put them in a bank, the only three you could go draw from for perpetuity. Like, do you have three that come to mind? Yeah, I have one hundred percent float fartlek three, two is your ratio three on two float. And early in our cycle, we'll start with like an hour. We've gone up to 90 minutes. We'll, we'll usually do 90 minutes. Like, three weeks out from a marathon. Um, and this is one where I, this is one I've left the race in before Chicago last year. I think I left my race there because oh. we did a 90 minute three, two and I averaged five Oh two pace, Ooh. which is like, what are you, what are you doing, man? <laughs> but what would be the shift in that, pacing there? Like what would be the shift in pacing? What would you be aiming for on the threes and the twos? 
Like 448, 515 to 520, something like that. That's that workout uh, I do with John. I have in the past where I run his offs. <laughs> you reverse <laughs> the order. Yeah. You know John DeWitt? He's running yeah. grandmas? Yeah. yeah. So he lives a couple miles from me. He's a, we we taught in the same district my first year when I was a teacher. So he's a, he went to Oshkosh where Kirk was. So got this little. Oh, awesome. Anyways, from time to time, and not as much recently, um, I'd run workouts with him, and his floats were my ons. He lo- he loved work. He'd go thousand eight, thousand four forty eight, four fifty, and then off at five ten, five fifteen, or whatever. Same kind of thing. He loves that workout. Uh-huh. I like it. Yeah, no, it's 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 great. It it's amazing, like what you can average when you don't even like realize it when you're just like pressing the offs a little bit. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's number one. I like it. I'm going to probably try it. You know what? I'll say this before you go on. Those are the workouts that make for good broken trail runners. Mm-hmm. In and out of paces, being able to change gear. I'm sure you felt it in your race. You, ha- you're, It's not rhythm running. It's having yeah. to get off and on and off and on. And it's like cross country. The guys who can surge around corners and terrain and it doesn't take anything out of them that staying power on an off-road course. So the fact that you do a lot of those is only going to help your transition if and when you transition. Perfect. Standing rest doesn't help you on the trail. (laughs) All right. uh, Next one for you. Do you you want three, do you want three like classic ones or do you want three like the three that are going to make you the best? Whatever comes to mind first. I mean, really, honestly, like the ones that you just want to tell us. Okay. Um, I mean, so we'll do three by three mile a lot, and that's just a classic. Mm-hmm. Like, and we do three minutes standing rest there. But the whole idea of like a longer interval. I mean, I always feel like you can fake your way through like K repeats or mile repeats, and it doesn't actually indicate fitness. But you can't fake your way through a three mile repeat. So I think that uh, that's always a, a key one for relative us. to marathon. And that's like LT pace. Okay, I was gonna say relative to marathon pace. What are you shooting for for that? Yeah, we'll be like four fifty to four fifty five for that. So, and your, and your marathon pace is what at the moment five five oh five ish. Shooting for five oh at CIM. So you're shooting for so yeah, 10 I mean, to fifteen yeah. seconds per mile faster than marathon pace. Yeah, something like that. And then um here's a fun one. We always do this one. Mm. Uh it's it's not quite I I'm gonna I'm gonna pair this one. So you want to get better long progressive long run right you start we'll start like 6 30 we'll do 24 miles start like 6 30 get down to like 5 15 just steady and steady natural progression this classic that is the biggest fitness builder i know of fun one we do um we'll do uh 5k i forgot the name of it there's, there's a name our coach has us do it but um we'll do this like four to six weeks out from marathon, sometimes a little closer, 400 on 200 float for a 5k. And I, I actually ran like a 5k PR doing this one once just cause it's like you crush the 400. How many times have we heard this Kirk? Yeah. Mm-hmm. These little float simulators, people PR in them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not no, this I workout. Think, I think that's a fun one. But similar workouts Four two. Yeah. yeah. What'd you 400, run in 200. So I did like a fourteen forty five, but that was when my PR was fourteen fifty seven. So I ran what was it? I was, I was uh, doing floats in my temple ladder. I ran fifty five twenty for my ten mile on it. My shot was like, that's the fastest ten mile you've ever run. I was like, huh. 
<laughs> and I was off for a quarter of that at least, or a third of that. So yeah, case in point. So, yeah, that's interesting. They trick that's you. An easy way to run fifty-five floats, minutes. man. <laughs> yeah, those yeah. track floats trick you into thinking your float pace is easy. Yeah. Or if you set off to even do work at your float pace, you'd be like, "This is going to be some work." So wait, that's a standalone workout? Five like warm up, hit that, cool down, or is that in the middle of something? No, that that's standalone. Okay. So that's that's actually probably as we're getting a little bit closer to the race. Mm. I like it. And, like and what that. would pacing be for that then, if you could tell me, like in relation to whatever you're training for? Yeah, last time I did, I went out way too hard. I went out in like 63, 64. <laughs> <but> <laughs> I struggled. It sounds short. Cause there's only like eight four hundreds, but it's <clears throat> man, that one felt like forever. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I don't. I guess it would be sub five k pace for the ons, obviously, but not down to like. Maybe three k pace, hmm. and then classic four k pace workout. <laughs> floats maybe marathon. Got it. I like that. Mm-hmm. Recover at marathon pace. Easy breezy. Um. So, Brecken, do you have any last questions that you want to wedge in there? Otherwise, I just want to find out what he's up to the rest. Not of the wedge. Year, but... Nah. Go ahead. I mean, go anything. No, I mean, I I could talk that transition. Whenever it happens, uh, I mean, I want to talk about his pursuit to the next trials and where he thinks he stacks. I want to talk what happens, what kind of trail ultra he's looking at, if he's groomed trail or if he found out in Flagstaff, Flagstaff, he likes climbing and descending. But I guess that's part two. (laughs) Guess we'll need it. Yeah. I'm down. I'm on the time crunch today. Otherwise, we normally shoot for two hours on these things. But I got a camp and trip and I'm behind on packing. So, um we're ahead. Clear Lake, Wisconsin. Sorry, I'm no, my you're time. good. You're good. Um, Clear Lake, Wisconsin. <laughs> we're gonna be bow hunting and camping with the lady this weekend. It's gonna be good. Ah, yeah. nice. Yeah. Um, so where 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 can we see uh, uh racing? Let's just say your next the remain the next six months and what you're projecting next year. Yeah. So Indy Half Marathon is November. Um, CIM is just early first weekend of december so targeting a pr there, hoping hoping to get into the 211s um i mean if the conditions are good that can be one of the fastest courses around so there'll be some people there to go with and yeah it's gonna be a time i got a girl shout out to kira belzer uh she's ran this is gonna humble you she just ran one five six in her treadmill challenge on tuesday and she ran uh, she doing she, CIM? Yeah, she ran 17.0 in her 5k like time trial with for kicks and so i'm I'm excited to see what she does there but 156 do you know what the treadmill challenge is tyler god no, i'm so curious to see it's you you put set the treadmill to 15 percent, and you go as far as you can in 15 minutes so it's it's an all-out top 15 minute time trial at 15 percent on your treadmill um okay. 156 is a world-class woman's score um my best is 161 and she's went one five six. And so, anyways, I got I got high. Whoa. I'll be looking at your results and hers at CIM. But anyways, I have a feeling you could run like one eight or above, and that would be um, that would be very very impressive. I think I'll give it a go this winter when I'm bored in the treadmill. Yeah, you should. Max King and Sage both went one nine nine on it. Oh really? Too back in the day. That close, huh? I think Killian Jornet is the only one I know of that ran two. He did two oh or two oh one. Justin Grunwald says he's hit two flat, I think. He ran one really? he ran one eight something in the T C running company treadmill challenge. They hold one every year, T C running company. They line them with treadmills and everybody goes and hustles. It's a kind of a sweet event. But it's as bad as a five K. It it feels like a five K. Like 
two or three minutes in, you're like, I think I should start bumping it up. And by five, six minutes in, you're like, oh, I'm in it. <laughs> the mo- Eight to 12 is the longest minutes of your life. TC Running Company, I think it's like March-ish and they give away money and it's a cool, it's a big, cool event. Yeah, but... Anyways, I just wondering. What, Dude, I might have to do that. You, it, yeah. yeah. Cool. Anyways, um, sorry to interrupt. What, what? Is, so you're doing CIM, and then I wanted to brag about my client. So let's move on. Um, what else? <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm, I'm hoping to get a road 50k in in the spring. So just start to dabble a little bit there. I run 150k before. Um, so, I mean, the the it's pretty much the same energy systems as the marathon, right? It's only five miles longer. It's not really an ultra but um i'm looking at mad either mad city or the u.s champs in uh long island that's the one i did before what'd you run there 248 yeah it's not slow Mm-mm. not slow anything else then some track races anything you'll jump into some random things probably yeah we'll see i don't know i mean if if cim is just a disaster maybe i'll just uh take the spring to really dive into trail stuff mm-hmm. um because i mean i'm qualified for the trials and it's kind of good timing if i did want to go rogue for a little bit just take the spring and then get back to road stuff uh, come summer put but, it on your and then funny how sometimes guys come back monsters from that stuff mm-hmm. put on your calendar um superior trail 50k have you heard of the superior trail race if you ever if you yeah, ever i have it bookmarked if you ever want to go rogue i raced it I didn't race it this last year because it went to a time trial format or uh, basically, but year before uh, I ran, what did I run 403 there? It might be about 5,000 feet of gain. Very, very technical, but beautiful. And I think I'm going to probably throw my hat mm-hmm. in that ring in May. And if you want to go out, course records 346, 342. I think that one's just itching to, you know, your boy Scott Jurek used to race up there. And if it, Scott Jurek races, there, yeah. you know, it's legit. So. If you get, if you can wedge I'll have it to in, train with you. If I if I decide to, I have to go up and down Highland Hills with you. Yeah, hamster on a wheel. <laughs> Those workouts are nuts. <laughs> They're stupid. <laughs> all right, man. Well, it's been a pleasure, truly, and I yeah. look forward to next time I'm up there. Maybe we all grab a run together. Um, yeah, that'd to be, be great. Have to be extremely technical and sloppy, though. <laughs> so, <laughs> where can people follow you, well, yeah. and who do you want to thank? Um, just Tyler Germain uh, and all social media platforms. Um, want to thank my coach and team for keeping me on and supporting me for this whole time and dealing with my outbursts when I uh, am frustrated with my performances. And Are you uh, a diva runner? Eh, I just, I just want to be good. I really want to be good. And I get frustrated when it's not working out. I can't That's what it comes that. down to for me. <laughs> but yeah. And then uh, Tracksmith has been supporting me with gear and nice. um, yeah, really nice stuff. Not a bad company to be sponsored by. Yeah. Top Have you got the their line. shoe that just came out? No, I haven't gotten to sample it yet, but I'm excited to see it. It's pretty at the very least. Yeah. I like the idea of like an insole that like that you can just replace that and then like get more mileage out of a shoe. Because yeah, like that's where the cushion is. Uh the we'll Brighton see. base layer is my wife's favorite running shirt. Dude, I got one shipping, it's coming tomorrow. It's, it's as good as it gets. Well, it's been good insight, man. This has been uh, interesting for me to hear about some of that process, your journey. I'm rooting for you. We had a brief but nice interaction in Afton. I got a good look at your backside for 20 minutes and thought maybe maybe we should actually look at each other face-to-face this time and chat, so I'm glad we could make it happen. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, we'll be putting this out, we'll putting this out tomorrow, right, Bracken? So you can uh, listen to yourself on the long tomorrow. run if you want to. Okay, perfect. Right. Well, thanks for having me on, guys. This is, this is a yeah, lot of fun. Yeah, thanks, Tyler. All right. See you guys.